If you're the kind of person who's inclined to believe a campaign contribution is just a bribe by another name, you are not going to like this episode. Today we hear about a trial that just started in Ohio that may obliterate the already fuzzy line between political speech and corruption. Stay tuned. Hello, you're listening to On the Merits, the weekly legal news podcast from Bloomberg Law. I'm your host, David Schultz, and apologies about the raspy voice. The former Speaker of the Ohio House of Representatives is currently on trial over what prosecutors say was a massive pay-to-play scheme that involved tens of millions, yes, millions of dollars in bribes. If Larry Householder loses this trial, he might be doing some jail time. If he wins, however, it could force prosecutors to have to clear a much, much higher bar when bringing these types of public corruption cases, and it could even redefine the boundaries of what types of political speech are protected by the First Amendment. We're going to be talking about the implications of this today with Bloomberg Law correspondent Alex Ebert. I started off by asking Alex to tell me about the power company First Energy. This is the company that prosecutors say was the payer in this alleged pay-to-play scheme. First Energy is one of the largest utility companies in the country. You know, based on Bloomberg statistics from this week, we're looking at a $23.5 billion company, publicly traded. And they supply electricity to roughly 6 million people. What they really needed is a way to make these nuclear plants that they run competitive. When we deregulated the electricity industry over several decades, Nuclear power plants that kick off fewer emissions, they struggle to make energy as cheaply as natural gas fire plants. So they have these mostly unprofitable nuclear power plants. Uh, That's a problem. How do they go about solving this problem? So for a long time, they had sought subsidies from the state in order to make it competitive. And, you know, they talk about, you know, the reasons for this several ways, right? One, it's a big job creator for the northern part of the state. But two, we're talking about greener energy, right? So in a place where coal and natural gas dominate, um, we're talking about cleaner energy. So so they have a pretty compelling story to tell, but it sounds like they um, weren't comfortable just sort of relying on the story. They also wanted to uh, have someone inside uh, who could sort of put their finger on the scale. Uh, And, you know, that sounds like I'm making some serious accusations against the company, but this has all been proven in court. Um, So what was the extra step that they took to, you know, make sure that they got those subsidies? That's right. So years of, you know, asking legislators to come through with these subsidies didn't pan out. So they decided to strike a deal. So Larry Householder, a former speaker of the Ohio House, wanted to get back into power. He struck a deal with First Energy executives on a private jet while they were traveling to see President Trump's um, inauguration back in 2017, that First Energy would provide money in order to help elect people that would vote for Larry Householder to become House Speaker. In exchange, Householder would push a bill that would provide nuclear subsidies for First Energy's plants. So now, uh, flash forward to 2022, Householder is on trial for uh, public corruption over this deal, along with the former chair of the Ohio Republican Party. Um, what is the defense here? Because that's what's really unique here. That's why we're talking about it, because it's not 
like he's saying this deal didn't happen, you know, uh, the prosecution is lying. His defense is really fascinating. Can you get into that? Yeah. So if you were to create in a lab the best way to envision the difficulty of struggling with free speech protections for campaign donations, this would be it, right? So you have a donor saying for years they gave to a politician bribes in order for that politician to make legislation. And you have that legislator saying, these weren't bribes, this is politics as normal. I wanted to do this legislation anyway because I want to protect those jobs and I want to protect the environment in Ohio. And so federal prosecutors are having to convince jurors that this goes out of normal, shady politics into explicit bribes. And not just bribes, but a, a quid pro quo, that, that there was an explicit agreement between Householder and First Energy that, you know, you donate to, to my campaign and I will get these subsidies passed for you. Exactly, yeah. And Householder's argument is this, right? There's no quid pro quo here. You know, I, you know, this deal that you say was struck back in 2016, it took me years to become speaker. It took years to put this bill before the legislature. It took years for it to get passed. You know, these are just political donations and there's no quid pro quo here. Well, it sounds like the other argument that Householder is making is that, you know, First Energy has a right to express its political beliefs and its political preferences, and they are doing that by donating to me. Uh, that's a whole other, I mean, now that we get into the First Amendment here, right? That's that's First Amendment protected speech. Yeah. And so the difficulty here, too, is if you think about the way the money flows, it's not just donating a householder, right? So this is convoluted if you think about the particular donations. But if you stand back and you look at it, First Energy gave money to a subsidiary, right? So part of the company that facilitates interactions between that company and regulators, right? Mm -hmm. That subsidiary gave money to nonprofits, these political 501c4s, and that divvied up the money to these different politicians that would support Householder. And so Householder is standing back and saying, hey, there's no, there's no deal here. Just because all these people got money and they supported me, doesn't mean that I struck a deal. Before we get into the broader legal issues and just the legal concepts here, one detail from your story that really struck out to me about this specific case is that it seems like Householder got uh, a little bit more than just campaign donations. He also got money to fix up his house. Uh, he got money to settle a lawsuit. Um, that can't possibly be First Amendment protected speech, right? When you're not just donating to a campaign, you're giving money to uh, directly to a candidate for his personal use. Yeah. And so these are things that the feds are pointing to and saying, hey, look, you know, this is evidence of a quid pro quo. Householder is saying, these were just loans from a colleague, right? I've worked with this consultant for a long time, and he's given me a loan to help settle this lawsuit and fix up my vacation home. Um, how the jurors view that is going to be up to what evidence the prosecutors can show and how much they can move that out of the land of shady politics into a direct corrupt quid pro quo. Okay. But anyway, getting back to the the bigger picture here, the reason why I'm so interested in this is because this almost kind of obliterates the line between campaign contributions and bribery. And it was already getting a little fuzzy 
after the Supreme Court's famous Citizens United case. So let's talk about Citizens United. What exactly did that case do to kind of make things a little more confusing about the line between corporate speech and corporate political donations? If you think about the broad strokes of Citizens United, it's this concept that money is speech, right? And people have debated this for a long time in different ways. But the gist is it opened the floodgates for unlimited corporate donations, donations from businesses, donations from unions. So it can benefit both Republicans and Democrats, depending on who's donating the money. But if you take a step back and you look at it, it really just allows corporate money, union money, organization money to flood in to our political system and influence it. Now, that in itself doesn't open the door for bribes, right? But what it does is it helps possibly conceal bribes through deals that are made. And it can also prevent the ability of voters from seeing whom is donating the money to these nonprofits that cut ads. Um, so we don't necessarily know which big businesses and which large organizations are influencing our politicians and how. Right. And one of the sources in your story that I found really fascinating, he said that if householders' version of this this law wins the day, that there would have to be such an explicit quid pro quo. It would almost be like to convict a politician for bribery. You'd have to have a recording or an email of them saying, if I do this, you will do this. Like it, you know, because it, there can't be the implication of a quid pro quo. It would have to be a very explicit. And that's just an incredibly, almost impossibly high bar to clear. Is that one of the things that people are worried about, that it's taking the concept of a quid pro quo and just kind of like blowing it up and making it impossible to prove? Yeah, the question is like, how like distinct does this have to be, right? If you're talking about like shades of gray here, you know, does it have, can it be almost white before it's not um, a quid pro quo? And that's a politics professor at the University of Cincinnati. His name is David Niven. And he's been following public corruption trials in Ohio for a long time. Um, there was just a Cincinnati council member who was convicted of corruption. They had a recording of him and the case was pretty explicit. It was campaign donations and he kind of, you know, opens the doors for development in the city. And so it's possible to make these cases, but, you know, householder is saying, you know, you have no, you know, you've got no statement. You've got nothing here, even though you've got you know, a $230 million fine paid by the company that admits to bribing him. He's saying, you don't have anything from me. And if that is the standard, then how are you going to hold any politician's feet to the fire if they are smart enough to not get on recording that they're accepting bribes? Right. Well, and then finally, you know, I, I want to get to something you just alluded to, which is that First Energy paid a fine here, which uh, implies that you know, they're, uh, Householder's not the only one in legal hot water here. First Energy, you know, got in some trouble here as well. Did they ultimately get what they wanted? Did they get these subsidies? What happened? What, what's, you know, let's sort of tie a bow on the First Energy nuclear subsidies uh, story here. Yeah, it's, it's a sordid affair. So First Energy did not get what they wanted. They got a lot less than they had at the beginning. So First Energy paid about 60 to $61 million into this scheme 
to pass this bill and then to fend off um, an attempt to repeal the statute, the giving them these subsidies. But eventually those subsidies were repealed anyway, because when these federal indictments came down, there was a giant scandal in the state house, implicating everyone from householder, possibly up to the governor. And so these politicians over time withdrew these subsidies. And First Energy is also facing shareholder lawsuits, you know, in this regard. And so they've had to pay legal bills and they've had issues in federal court on that. So no, in the end, this didn't work out. It's an example of, you know, dark money and influence in politics when it comes to light actually harming the individuals that seek to cut these deals behind the scenes. All right. Well, that was Alex Ebert talking about a very uh, sordid tale of uh, bribery or maybe not bribery. I guess we'll find out uh, in court. Uh, Alex, thank you so much for joining us. This was really, really fascinating. It was my pleasure, David. Thanks. And that'll do it for today's episode of On the Merits. It was produced by myself, David Schultz. Our editor is Andrew Satter, and our executive producer is Josh Block. Check out our website for more coverage. That website is news.bloomberglaw.com. Once again, that's news.bloomberglaw.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Those nine justices in Washington can be hard to keep track of. That's where we come in. On our podcast, Cases and Controversies, we give you a week-by-week accounting of the Supreme Court, the filings, the arguments, the opinions, and much, much more. Check in on Fridays with Bloomberg Law's Cases and Controversies to find out what's coming up on the horizon of the Supreme Court. Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.